You are listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at sungrove.org. Happy late Thanksgiving and early Christmas to you all. Uh, it's just awesome to be here. We're in a new series called City of David. I think of running for mayor. I don't know, just maybe, right? You know, it's, it's awesome. We're going to be looking the next few weeks at the Old Testament forecast of the city of David, what the promises of God were toward the, what would be a future city where Jesus would be born, where he ultimately would give his life and, and die. And we're going to look at that over the next five weeks, but it's so beautiful just to see God's promises in Scripture that can be trusted and his predictions ahead of time in Scripture that can be trusted and his projections, his predictions toward the future which actually impact your life and my life now. So often we think that the ancient isn't really going to be applicable to the modern. So often we think that things that happened way in the past have no impact to my life now or even my life in the future. But as we begin to unpack God's prophecy about the city of David and his promise to people, you're going to begin to see not only does it impact your life right now, but it's going to be able to begin to tell the future in your life. What are we looking forward to? What are we looking ahead toward in our life and also in the days to come because of the promises of God that can be trusted? Now, predictions are hard, right? How many of you made a prediction and you told all your family at what time you were planning to eat on Thanksgiving Day? Come on. How many of you hit your deadline? Like everything was warm at all the same time, right? None of us, right? So it's hard just to even predict like, hey, this is when I think we're going to eat. But if you cook, it's tough when you cook for a lot of people to get all the food warm and all the dishes warm and everything together because it just seems like life works this way that everything takes longer than it takes. Do you understand what I mean? Everything seems to take longer than it takes, doesn't it? And we, we begin to become optimistic and think that it won't. We want things to be permanent. We want there to be a hope, but we watch things decline. I mean, Elk Grove is exploding right now in population. You drive by the population sign, you're going, that thing is so outdated. And you gotta know that there's like probably 20,000 people living in homes that no census even knows about, right? So you just, you just go, the population, Elk Grove is changing. If you've been around for a long time, you've seen this city change. Even in the last, what, 16 years of its existence, you've seen it change. And it's interesting, in the Bible, the city of David is referred to two different places. One is Bethlehem, where Jesus was born. One is Bethlehem, where David, the Old Testament king, was born. But the other is when David went up and conquered the city of Salem, Jerusalem, when the lower portion was called the city of David. And that's where David set up his palace. That's where he set up his kingdom to rule and reign from there. And, it, and the two cities are not far apart. Bethlehem is to Jerusalem what Elk Grove is to Sacramento. It's not that far. They are pretty much the same area. You, you might not see the great dividing line between the two in modern day like you would in ancient days, but they're really not that far. You and I want things to be permanent. You want predictions to come true. You want something that will last, and so do I. That's why Hebrews chapter 13 says this. Hebrews 13 says, For here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. Like right now, we don't have permanence. Right now, we don't have an enduring city. But someday, we are looking forward to a city that will never perish or spoil 
or fade. If you have your program, why don't you take that out? Inside, there's a sermon outline. I want you to take some notes today because I think that what we're talking about today will be applicable to you. Let's first of all talk about, though, some promises that don't deliver. We're all familiar with, in our life with promises that don't deliver. We'll start off with the first category, and that's political promises, right? First promises that you can almost guarantee may not fully deliver our political promises. Uh, the second one are pretty much anything in the Sky Mall catalog. You know what I'm talking about? Sky Mall? You go there, almost anything in there, they just don't deliver. Now, some of you are like, come on, Dave, don't be so harsh on Sky Mall. There's actually some products in there that may be really good. Well, I would just say, hey, if you're looking to offend somebody this Christmas, just go ahead and get them this slide right here. Get them this right out of the Sky Mall catalog. This is AA. It's got a 15-point massage. Uh, it's going to give you healthier stress relief. I, I just guarantee you, just give this to somebody at Christmas and tell them in the future, everyone is going to be wearing one of these. <laughs> just don't deliver, do they? Other things that don't deliver. How many of you uh, adopted early into the HD DVD format? Come on. Anybody of you? I just want to know, does anybody in the room still have an HD DVD player with HD DVDs? Come on, be honest. Yeah, early format, jump here is like me too. That's why I put the, you know, I thought this movie here with the, with the rock was applicable. Doom, because that format was doomed, right? We went to Blu-ray, DVD. They just didn't deliver on its promises. And, and maybe for some of you, sometimes people make promises or things that actually work, but we find out later they're not healthy for us. Like, for example, take this slide here. Cocaine tooth drops. Instantaneous cure. They're only 15 cents, and they're, you know, prepared by the Lloyd Manufacturing Company, and they're for sale by all druggists, and they were registered in March of 1885. And, and you just got to wonder, when you, when you look at that, you think, hey, this is great for us, but then you, you begin to go back, and you go, that's not so good. I mean, could you just imagine your kid? I mean, wait, throw that slide back up there again, if you will, Joshua. That slide back up there again with, with the toothache drops. Hey, look at this. You got little cocaine-addicted kids playing Lincoln Logs right there, you know? I guarantee you in short amount of time, they had a toothache every single day, right? We want things that are good for us. We want God's promises to be good for us. We want things in our lives that will last. We want things that will be actually helpful but sometimes it doesn't work out that way. And thankfully, as we look at the promises of God, we find that there are real, legit, lasting, fulfilled promises. When it comes to the promises of God, you're going to find out that they are steady. They're unchanging. They are lasting. And they are trustworthy. Now, you need to know that in the Old Testament, there are over 300 prophecies about the future Messiah, the future Christ, that actually came true in the person of Jesus Christ. Over 300 ancient prophecies that came true in just one individual in history, and that, most of them, thousands if not hundreds of years later. So we want to look at some of those today because I don't want you to just take my word for it, but we want to find out, is Jesus the Christ? Is he the son of the living God? Can his promises both now and in the future, can the predictions and the prophecies of old time, were they fulfilled in him? And are they trustworthy as we look toward a future city of David that's going to impact your life and my life? 
So if you have your Bible, open with me to Genesis chapter 22. We've got some fill in the blanks there in your program. And the first one is this. What race was Christ prophesied to belong to? So of all the races, of all the nations of the world, they've got to be one that this Messiah, this Christ would come through. And what nation was he prophesied to belong to? We find out that it's the Jewish nation. That's who God is going to become flesh through and then give his life. And in doing so, he's going to bless all nations. But he's got to come through one. And so we find this promise to Abraham, the father of the Jewish nation, in Genesis chapter 22, beginning with verse 15. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself declares the Lord that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offsprings, all nations on earth will be blessed. Why? Because you have obeyed me. So God giving Abraham this promise. You might remember the story. God told Abraham, take your son, your one and only son, up on the mountain, and you're going to go ahead and sacrifice him to me. And, and Abraham just believed in his heart that God would, as, as remember Ryan told you a few weeks ago, that, that God would have another way. God would raise his son from the dead. God would do something to restore it. But he, he offered his one, his only son. And once he had made that act and God restrained him from sacrificing his son, God then says, because you were willing to obey me, because you did what I asked you to do, I now am going to make you a great nation through you, the Jewish nation. I will bless all people. Well, was it true? Did that come to pass? In Matthew chapter 1, the New Testament, verse 1, we find this, that this is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So in his genealogy, right away, we see a line that he came through the family line of David. We see right away that he is a son of Abraham. That right away, God has fulfilled all these things down in the person of Jesus Christ. Well, number two, from what Jewish tribe was Jesus, this Messiah, prophesied to come? We find out it's from the tribe of Judah. Now, you got to remember, there are 12 Jewish tribes so not only is it the nation of the Jewish people that the Messiah will come through, but there's 12 tribes. So you got to realize right away, 11 out of 12 tribes have to be excluded. So you're going, yeah, I'm a Jewish person. That's great. But you got to realize among the 12 tribes, the Messiah is only going to come through one. So 11 out of 12 of those tribes are going to get excluded. So they're going to be very particular, very specific. And so we find this in the first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 49, verse 10. He says the scepter, which would be the kingly rulership, right? The reign, the authority, the scepter. The scepter will not depart from Judah nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until he to whom it belongs shall come and the obedience of the nations shall be his. This old, old, Old Testament forecast is forecasting that the Messiah ultimately comes through which of the 11 tribes? Comes through the tribe of Judah. Now this prophecy was approximately 1,400 years before Christ. 1,400 years before Christ when that was made. Was it fulfilled? In Hebrews chapter 7, we see this in verse 14. For it is clear that our Lord descended from 
Judah. It was fulfilled. Eleven other tribes were excluded, but the Lord, Jesus Christ, came through. The Jewish nation came through the tribe of Judah. And you have to ask this question. Okay, well, time out. We are looking backwards and saying, hey, it looked like it happened that way, right? But what about the people in Jesus' day? Did the people in Jesus' day recognize that he was the Messiah and that he came through the right tribe? Did they figure it out that, like, this is the, the legit guy? Well, in John 1:45, Philip found his brother Nathaniel and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. See, what's happening is the people realize right away that Jesus is the one that Moses, way back, Moses wrote about when he wrote the book of Genesis. Jesus is that guy. Not only that, but Jesus describes himself. He says in his own words in John 5, 46, he says, if you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. From his own words, Jesus is saying, listen, Moses, years ago, way long time ago, Moses actually wrote about me. He's not hiding it. He's not putting it away. He's saying, listen, this is how it is. Please understand that Jesus knew who he was. He knew whose he was, and he knew what he came to do. And people who say, Jesus never claimed to be God, don't understand that one verse right there. They don't understand that he's claiming in that verse to be the Messiah, the one that Moses wrote about when he wrote Genesis years and years ago. Number three, well, what family was he to come from? Because now we got the tribe you know, of Judah from the Jewish nation to the tribe of Judah, but what family? There's a lot of families in that tribe, but which one is Jesus supposed to come through? And we find out that he's supposed to come through the family line of David. King David, the royal ancestry line in the Old Testament. God who made promises to Abraham also made promises to David. And that David's reign and his rule would last forever. And so we see that he's supposed to come through the family line of David. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, David's told this, that when your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you and your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. Listen, here's the prophecy. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Everyone say, forever. Or you can say it like in the sandlot, forever, right? So it's supposed to last forever. Well, how does that work? When you have offspring, you're hoping that each successive person will obey God and that, the, that their scepter wouldn't last. You're going to go, it's going to have to get passed on and passed on and passed on and passed on. How's that going to work forever? I need you to understand something, that David's lineage could only last forever through the one who lives forever. That with God, there is neither beginning nor end. That he was and he is right now and he is to come. He, he is outside of time. He can insert himself into time, but he is outside of time. And that his lasting reign, his lasting righteousness, his lasting rule can only come from somebody who's going to live forever. So we find this, that also in, by the way, Psalm 89 and in Jeremiah 23, he was 
predicted to come, he was prophesied to come through the family line of David. In Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, a famous Christmas passage, we see this prophecy from the prophet Isaiah. He says this to the Jewish people, for to us a child is born. To us, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Out of the greatness of his government and his peace, there will be no end. And he will reign on whose throne? David's. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and with righteousness from that time on and forever, right? The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Is he putting the pressure on David? David, you got to do it. No, God's going to carry out his plans. God's going to carry out his promises. And let me just time out there. God's going to carry out his plan and his promises in your life too. Was David a perfect king? No. Did David make huge mistakes in his life? Yes. But God's going to continue to carry out his plan, his purpose, through the life and the heritage of David. He's going to be the one. It's his zeal that's going to accomplish this. I want you to realize that God is zealous for you. He's zealous for your life. He's zealous for your decisions. He's zealous for, for God to begin to do a good work in you and then a good work through you because he's prepared good works in advance for you and I to do. God is zealous for your life. You say, how much does my life really matter? How much does my involvement really matter? How much does my relationship with God really matter? It matters. God is zealous for you. And he wants to walk in fellowship with you. And he wants to work his kingdom in and through you. Well, this Old Testament prophecy in Isaiah was fulfilled in Luke 1.32. We find these words. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, who? David, right? So again, this Old Testament forecast is being fulfilled in the life of Jesus in the New Testament. We see it right there. Now, in order to do this, seven-eighths of David's family had to be excluded. That, that he had to come through the line of David, but in doing so, he could only come through one channel of that line, right? So again, there's, there's a very specific nature. It's not a, a general prophecy, a general proclamation. These are specific. So not only do we see the Jewish nation, the tribe of Judah. Now we're getting more specific, right? Now we're seeing it's got to be the family line of David. But not only that, Jesus is going to come through one of the eight. So seven of them get excluded, one of the eight through the family line of David. Well, where now? Where's the location? Where's this Messiah going to be born according to the Old Testament? And the answer is Bethlehem. He's going to be born in a little side city to the biggest main city in all of Israel. He's going to be born in Bethlehem. In Micah chapter 5, verse 2, Micah the prophet predicts this. He says this, But you, Bethlehem, Epaphrath, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come, one, come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. 
So Micah is prophesying, this is where the Messiah is to be born. They want to find out, where, where is this Messiah supposed to be born? The Old Testament Micah prophesied it for him. Every Jewish person would recognize that that would be the ultimate destination of the one who is Jesus, who is the Messiah. Listen, his description, he says, who will be ruler over Israel, listen, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. It's showing that this Messiah, this ruler, is not simply born in Bethlehem. But that is an ancient one. From all times, God become flesh. So there's a moment where he steps into time, though he's timeless. It's God become flesh as the Messiah in the person of Jesus Christ. Micah prophesied this 700 years before Christ was going to be born. 700 years. Let's just time out right now. Who's going to win the Super Bowl 700 years from now? We don't even know the expansion teams, right? So our odds are just minimized right away. But this is super specific, and it was prophesied 700 years before Christ was born. Well, did it come true? Did it actually happen? Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. After Jesus was born in where? In Bethlehem, in Judea, during the time of the king Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. So right away, they begin to ask. They come to the main city. They come to the city of David. They come to Jerusalem, the city of David. Where is this Messiah supposed to be born? The answer is the city of David, Bethlehem, not far from here, just a little ways away. That's where the prophet said he would be born. Did it come true? Yes, yes. It absolutely came true. And then we have to ask, well, what was, if we've got all this, we've narrowed it down, right? Nation, tribe, family line. Now, where is he going to be born? Now, let's just ask this. Let's get a little more specific, because if you're making predictions, you've got to be very specific. What's his name going to be? What should his name be? And the answer is Jesus. Jesus. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, the angel tells Joseph that his name is to be Jesus, as it was prophesied from long ago, as he's giving Joseph the actual, here's what you are to name your son. Here's God's promise. Here's God's fulfillment. It's going to happen for you in your family. You're going to basically take on Mary. It's a virgin birth. And he begins to explain that to him. He says his name is to be Jesus. Jesus means God is salvation. If you understand anything about Hebrew names, that the names are indicators of character. The names are indicators of just the way it is with that person. They were so intentional about the name, not about how the name sounded like, I like that name, but they were super intentional about what does the name mean because the name means something that's going to become true in their life. And the name Jesus means God is salvation. It was fulfilled in Luke chapter 2 that when the baby was born, they named him Jesus, we have to begin to ask the question, what is the chance that all these prophecies could be coincidentally fulfilled in just one person? So, so let me just kind of mention it this way. There's, uh, there's, you know, over 300 chairs here in the room right now. And you kind of say this, what are the chances that in these 300 chairs in the room, that in your, in the seat right in front of you, the one that's directly in front of you, in the seat back pocket right in front of you, that there's a Starbucks card. 
What are the chances? Because you might want to check the seat back pocket right in front of you for something that looks like this. Check it. If you have it, if you find it, if you're sitting in a row with extra seats, you might want to check those. If you find it, raise your hand. All right, we got one right here. There's, but there's more than one. Where else? Anybody else find one? Right over here. Yeah, right over here. There is one in this, oh, right there in the back. Awesome. So we got three. Good job. So these are gifts for you. It's a $10 Starbucks card. Of all the cards I could have picked, I picked this card. Because when I look at this card, I see red that reminds me of the blood that Jesus shed as a promise fulfilled at the time of Christmas when he came, that he came for a purpose, he came for a reason. And we see that his reason for coming was that he was to shed his blood. But look at that, three, three Starbucks cards in just the limited number of chairs we have in this room. What would the odds be? You'd say, it's, it, my chances are one out of you divide the number of chairs in this room by three, right? So that's what you do. And those are, those are decent odds. Three people in here got a card this morning. Pretty decent, aren't they? But what are the odds that there would be 300 prophecies, 300 fulfilled in just one person among all the people of all of history? What are the odds? I don't have any idea. But here's what I know. People who are smarter than me My mind just doesn't work that way. There may be some super mathematician in the room who's like, I got it. I got it dialed in. But here's what I know. In the 60s, there was a brilliant mathematician and professor named Dr. Peter Stoner. And he said this, let's just say eight, not 300, but let's just say eight of the prophecies that were made could be fulfilled in just one person throughout all of history. What are the mathematical odds that just of, of all these prophecies, that just eight of them were fulfilled in just one person? Well, those odds are one in 10 to the 28th. Okay, you go, what number is that? I don't know. But if we were to write it out here today, we would write 10, and then I would add 28 zeros. How many of you would play lotto if your odds were 1 to the 10 to the 28? Nobody would win, right? And that's just eight of the prophecies being fulfilled. He said, well, how do, you, how do you get your mind? How do you wrap your mind around what that looks like? Here's what he said. He said this. We can visualize this with an illustration. If we took an atheistic professor and we put that person, we blindfolded that person, and then we covered the entire state of Texas... The entire state was silver dollars two feet deep. We put an X on one silver dollar and we stuck it in there. We mixed up the entire state. And then we flew that professor in and they parachute or I don't know, wingsuit, whatever, out of a plane. They come down, they land, they reach down, they plunge in their hand. And the first silver dollar they pick up is the one with the X on it. That's what the odds would be if that atheistic professor, he or she, were successful. Think about it. What if we just took the city of Elk Grove and we covered it with silver dollars a couple feet deep and we spun you around 10 times and said, all right, go select one. And you selected the one in the entire city of Elk Grove. What are the chances you're going to find that X? And that's for just eight, eight prophecies coming true in just one person in history. 
God fulfilled over 300 specific prophecies in the one person of Jesus Christ. Lee Strobel, who is an educated at Yale Law School, he was an award-winning editor for the Chicago Tribune, and he was a skeptic of Christianity, so he actually set out to disprove Christianity. But in 1981, he, noticed, uh, he noted that the statistical odds of select messianic prophecies coming true gave him the confidence to actually believe in Jesus Christ. So what happened for him? He said, I'm going to set up to disprove this thing. I'm going to do it through science. I'm going to do it through math. And as he began to study, as he began to go around as a reporter, an investigative reporter, he began to travel around the country and say, how legit are these prophecies? How legit is the person of Jesus Christ? And as he set up to disprove Christianity, time and again, he began to find out that I, I, I can't deny the truth, the intentionality of God in just one person. And it gave him the confidence to believe. And so he surrendered his life to Christ in 1981. And he since has written, this former agnostic has now written the case for Christ, the case for faith, the case for a creator, and the case for Easter. A life radically changed because these prophecies just gave him confidence to step across that line of faith. Because at the end of the day, for you and for me, it just takes that confidence to, to step across the line, doesn't it? doesn't matter how much evidence you have before you. doesn't matter if we've talked about 300 prophecies a day or 500 prophecies a day. What, what, for you and me, it has to come down to will I choose by faith to believe the evidence of these prophecies in the person of Jesus Christ. And then it becomes relational because now I'm choosing to believe. Will I believe Jesus? Will I enter relationship with him? If all these things were true about him, will I now step across that line of faith? Because that's a heart decision now that you know what you know in the head. The question is, have you stepped across that line of faith? Paul said, as we looked at that first verse, he said this, listen, we're looking for a city that is to come. We don't have a city that's going to last. Heck, you and I don't have a body that's going to last we don't have relationships that are going to last forever and ever and ever necessarily, right? Not in the same degree they are. If you're a believer, your relationships are going to get a whole lot better when you enter glory. But we want things to last. You want your Christmas presents to last. You want your clothes to last. You want your car to last. We want all these things to last. We are looking for something that's not fulfilled just in this earth. We're looking in a city that is fulfilled outside of it who stepped into it to save us from our sin. Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, wrote this in the book 2 Peter 3.13. He said this, But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. What's he saying? Peter, Jesus has been crucified, dead and buried, rose to new life. Peter has now gone on from being a fisherman. He now is saying, full time, I am proclaiming the goodness of Christ. He's a leader in the early church. And he's saying, right now in our life, right now, we are looking forward to a new heaven, toward a new earth where righteousness dwells. We're looking forward to the fulfillment of the promises of the future city of David, this new Jerusalem come to earth, fulfilled through the person and the work of Jesus Christ, let me ask you again, have you stepped across that line of faith to believe that Jesus is 
who he says he is. With your heads bowed, your eyes closed, just focusing on your own life, I want you for a minute just to ask, have I stepped across the line of faith or is attending church a cognitive function alone for me? Have I stepped into relationship with Jesus Christ? Have I trusted that his death on the cross cancels out my sin? The beautiful thing is that Jesus is offering you, not a Starbucks card, he's offering you today eternal life. He's offering for you today the opportunity to be able to have your sins washed away. But it takes that step of faith. It takes that you stepping across that line of faith toward his free gift. You've got to look in the pocket in front of you. You've got to do the work, otherwise you wouldn't receive the gift, right? And in the same way Jesus is saying, you have to step across and give yourself relationally to me and trust that what I did, I did for you. If today that's a decision you'd like to make, then simply pray a prayer to him. He hears you. Like this, you might just repeat after me just silently where you're sitting. God hears you even if you pray it in your heart. But maybe today you just say, Jesus, today I give myself to you. I believe that you are the Messiah, that you died for my sin, and that you rose to new life because you're God. I ask you to make me a new creation. Awaken me spiritually and relationally to you. Because today, I give myself to you. If you just prayed that prayer, will you just raise up your hand? Anywhere around the room that you just raise up your hand saying, today is the day, awesome, right there on the end. Anywhere else around the room, just you hold your hand up. We've got some friends who'd like to give you some information right here on the end. That's awesome. So just my friends are going to come and give you some information today that helps you understand that decision you made right there in the back. Awesome. Anywhere else that today is the day you just said, I just said yes to Jesus. I'm going to be bold. I'm going to be honest about it. That was me today. And you just said that. Awesome. Jesus, we come before you and we thank you for your good gift. We thank you that you are trustworthy. We thank you that you don't just give us temporary toothache relief, but God, you give us relief from the sin that plagues us so much, that has condemned us to death. That God, you took our sacrifice, you took our penalty. We give you praise, we give you honor, we give you glory. And God, we thank you for what you're doing here at Sun Grove Church. Will you give it up for what God is doing in us and through us? It's awesome. Thank you for listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For information on Sun Grove Church, visit our website at sungrove.org.